Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 200, Reflections on the Disco. Today, well, it's episode <laughs> 200, and uh, we're going to talk about what's changed over the years, uh, and maybe do a bookshelf revisit. This is Literary Disco, the last bookshelf. Have you never wow. done an intro before, Ryder? <laughs> My God. God, listeners, literary 200 disco. episodes in, Ryder just shit the bed. No, I've shit the bed a bunch on, on, on the intro. We've definitely, we have a whole episode about it. I guess I just, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure how much to dive in before we actually just start talking. Well, because, let's, uh, let's give, I mean, I don't want you to not have a clean intro, so let's. Yeah, finish your sentence. Finish go. your sentence, go ahead. Uh, okay, this is Literary Disco. It's the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder. We're three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Happy uh, 200th episode, guys. Wow. Happy 200. Wow. Yeah, I'm frazzled, you know, because because we, 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 we went through a lot of different ideas on what this episode could be. And last night and this morning, I went back and listened to episode zero and episode one mm-hmm. and we've, we've we've gone over and over about what we should do how we should do this and um i think it's you know reflections on the disco makes sense it's just time to sort of look back uh i have many thoughts uh, i hope you guys do too. too i have um, tons because listening to those early episodes really threw me for a loop uh, uh, um and yeah uh, i'm curious what you guys are, are feeling and thinking so who wants to go first well, I think because we've spent 10 years interrupting Julia, this God, is her, it really, the first two episodes, really, it's like, oh, it's, so it's as though, we really need to discuss this. This was also on my list to talk about, but I didn't think we were going to go there it's first. As though, oh, it's the first thing I noticed when we yeah. listen to episode zero, it's like, well, here we're doing it again. I don't Just talk, talk Julia. for 10 minutes. So yeah. in honor of Julia being interrupted from 2012. <laughs> to 2021 ladies and gentlemen unmitigated yeah. unbroken unbridled just stop unrestrained just stop. <laughs> stop julia pistel julia pistel this holiday season i want to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique just like the relationship we share that's why i'm giving everyone i care about storyworth storyworth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. 
Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. The keepsake book looks great on a bookshelf, or my preference, right on my living room table so guests can see. Reading the weekly stories helps connect you with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are. As someone who lives nowhere near my family, it's great to have some opportunity to feel like we're connected even when we're not together. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash literary disco and save $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash literary disco to save $10 off on your first purchase. Uh, okay, well, um, I think let's start by talking about that. I mean, we have to. Um, well, I have lots of thoughts, and almost all of them are good. Um, <laughs> but I... it sh- Okay, so, listeners, if for some reason this is your first uh, listen to the show, like, wow, welcome. And uh, there's an ongoing thing that we have, which is whenever we look at our reviews or talk to fans... You know, people are like, Julia should talk more. Uh, Todd and Ryder shouldn't exist. Only Julia should lead the world. And I get a lot of self-worth out of that. Um, As you should. I actually wrote down, because I went and looked at our reviews again. um, And the best one ever is just the title of the review is Julia is right. And the whole review is Julia is right about Elena Ferrante. Uh, It's five stars. Um... But yeah, I mean, I think the dynamic that we have is so interesting in those early episodes and probably still is now because it's interesting to me because anyone who knows me in any other part of my life, I am the loudest person. I'm the one interrupting (laughs) other people. I own a comedy club. I perform all the time. Um, And so it's hard for me to listen to myself um, to what sounds like, I agree, sounds like you guys just talking over me. Um, But my experience of the podcast is has been a lot of listening like you can't you can't see listening that's what what i'm i'm understanding that's right you know that's right it's like i'm nodding i'm thinking i'm writing down notes but like the pain of being like where am i do i exist is this the one where i accidentally deleted my audio you know (laughs) why have i spoken you know that's really it's really hard as like a feminist person and a leader um to hear us sort of like working out how we talk to each other so i guess something i want to open with is like you know we were really good friends at bennington and then we graduated and years passed and until we started recording like i actually hadn't talked to you guys much at all in those Mm -hmm. intervening three years you know like i think i talked to Ryder on the phone like twice 
which is so cute. Like we called each other on the phone to talk. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if we talked, Todd. You yeah, guys just called you, me out of the blue. No, you and I would see each other at AWP. Right. Sure. Or I visited once. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like I think what sounds like a friendship that hit the ground running was a friendship that was like being developed through the podcast and is That's now true. a mind blowing 10 years yeah. of this dynamic yeah whatever this dynamic is and it's important well, to, it's important to note that though the show premiered in 2012 we actually produced the first several episodes in 2011 so it is actually 10 years for us yeah we we we, we tried out a couple like segments and episodes uh and microphones todd uh yeah. before we finally <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that took about uh, five years for you to figure yeah. out, but but we did yeah. find. But you know what's interesting to me, Julia? I mean, oh yeah, I totally. I, what was what was interesting listening back was you actually pushed back on the first episode, uh, episode zero. Oh, I was like, oh my god, like Todd and I just never shut up. But episode one, you immediately are like, let me talk. <laughs> like you, I, you actually fight back, and so I think it was already like a thing. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, um, and and in retrospect too, um, you know, we didn't like we didn't have any sort of structure and i do feel like todd as a teacher yeah for years yeah. already at that point had a, a level of confidence about talking about books and a sort of um authority mm-hmm. that comes across like it's a, there's a very clear like oh todd is hosting and running this and you know going from segment and and that sort of has faded away and it's become much more of a like equal you know i mean i take over the I do my awful introduction and, and closing <laughs> at some point that became the standard thing. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we don't really have, uh, you know, I, I think we didn't know what the podcast was. Right. It was like, was it going to be a formal, uh, book, you know, review, which it seemed like at times or what, I mean, really what it's become is just the three of us, like a, like a, like an ongoing book club, you know, right. <laughs> like it's just, but we didn't even know if we were going to have guests yet or what kind of set or games. And, and like, it's kind of become all of those things, but, but I don't know. It's interesting to listen back and realize that we really didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and, no. and in a way it's kind <laughs> of charming, but we still don't, but yeah. I, you know, it, yeah, uh, but I, I was I was impressed to hear that that, that you were pushing back immediately, yeah. whether we noticed or not, and I think that's part of the reason why <laughs> listeners picked up on it pretty pretty you know immediately. Yeah, too. I mean, I think that yeah, there's there's so much personal stuff in here for me, um, and I really enjoyed listening to these because ten years is a long time, like. It's 28 to 38 for me, you know, and um, that year was a really good year for me, um, 2012, for many reasons. Like I we started the podcast. I ran a marathon. I met Joan Didion and Judy Bloom. Like things mm-hmm. were going amazing for me. I got engaged that year. That was probably like really a peak for me. And I think that part of my hanging back and this is something we've like really never or rarely talked about but is implied is like we were saying we were writers talking about reading um but i never achieved the writing level that i was like hoping would just happen to me without me doing any work Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know like you guys are really at that time you know you guys were really accomplished, really successful in your field. And I still felt really young, you know, and really new. 
Um, and I have like many thoughts about my own like journey and writing and reading career. And now I'm much more confident in like, yeah, this is a podcast about reading. This isn't a podcast about writers. Um, but I think that's where some of the hesitation got baked in really early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have no problem telling you guys that you're stupid. <laughs> That's never been a problem. I mean, no, like that happens no, no. every episode. That's a theme. I so. think I think one yeah. of the great enduring parts of my life and writer's life for both of us is that we've always been surrounded by people willing to tell us that we're fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. I know it's so always helpful. been, and I want to hear what you guys think too of this. Something other than this subject, but you know, like I do love you guys. We've talked about it on and off, and I wouldn't. I I want the listeners to know, like I would not put up with this behavior <laughs> if I didn't sort of like understand it. And you know, I don't know. I'm not. It's not something I'm secretly like seething about. No, that's good. But when I listen to it, like I feel mad at myself. You well, know, but I'm so like, get in there, girl. So <laughs> the first couple episodes, you really are hanging back. But I think the last six years or so, it's been more equal. But, you know, it's yeah. so funny what you say, though, about like how you felt about yourself at that time, like as a person that could talk about um, published work, basically, because mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Like, you know, in 2011, I'd been a professor for 11 years already and I'd been a book critic for 11 years already and I'd been publishing Mm -hmm. books for 11 years already. Um, And so like the pomposity in my voice was a little (laughs) too much for me, even me to take. Really? Yeah. I mean, like when we were talking, when we were talking about, I mean, I hate to hear my own voice anyway, but um, when we were talking about Bright's Passage, the Josh Ritter book that we did in our first official episode, and you can tell the early episodes because we only talked for like 30 minutes. I know. It's great. <laughs> we really need to get back to that. Um, That's because I used to edit them. Right, right, right. <laughs> I would take an hour recording and cut it During down. the 30 minutes. Um, yeah. But like, you know, I I was spending more time telling Josh Ritter how to write his own book than I was actually discussing what was on the page Mm -hmm. um and that you know that sometimes happened like i felt that way sometimes as a critic early on that it was my job to fix the book Um, i don't feel that way anymore when i write book criticism but it was always a problem i had like the duality of of like seeing how to fix it and just dealing with with what's on the page um but as a professor too it's like i don't like to be interrupted sometimes (laughs) and um Having not hosted a podcast before, like I could feel myself straining to not be annoyed that I wasn't speaking yet, you know. <laughs> um, because yeah, I feel I feel the same like, way. Like it, it's such a strange thing because like this was an art form that none of us had done. Like I'd been interviewed and, and Ryder had been interviewed plenty of times on the radio or whatever, but that's different. Though. It's totally yeah. different, and it was a totally yeah. different art form. And now. You know, when I'm like being interviewed on a podcast or something, which happens, you know, fairly often, like when I have a new book out or whatever, when when the other podcast hosts are like not as prepared or not as interesting or there's a lot of dead space, I feel myself being like, 
If you guys never listen to fucking literary disco, there is no fucking dead space. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Jesus Christ. Pick up your well, fucking Well, we all love to talk. Right. That's, that's, the, that's problem. the thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm dying to hear what Ryder... Let, this is the self-flagellation round, and then we'll get into other stuff. <laughs> but, you know, like, we can't emphasize enough, this is 2012. Like, yeah. right before this, I was listening to another podcast about podcasters, and someone was like, and now we have a grizzled old experienced podcaster. She's been podcasting since 2018. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, what the what hell? The fuck? But yeah, I, Ryder oh was like, God. here's three podcasts I know. Yeah. Let's take this from the movie one, and this from this, and this from this. And we were like, okay. You know, we had no sense of what we were doing um, and all the ones i listened to are about sports at the time so oh, i only listen to science and history podcasts so, to this day so from, from my point of view i was doing a sports talk radio show about <laughs> about books <laughs> okay so Ryder, what what did you what was your like gut initial emotional reaction to listening embarrassment it's so painful you know because like i could hear you know i could hear like with todd you could you, you know he had all the all the confidence and and pretension of a, of a teacher who had been doing it for 11 years i just had all the confidence and pretension of a 31 year old white guy who just like showed up uh <laughs> So I, yep, I don't know yep. where that came from. It's pretty awful to listen to because it it's just like, what do you? Who are you, dude? Like, shut up. Um, and I guess like, I, I guess I guess the the thing to remember is that like I I I imagined us having an audience of like ten people. I really did. Like, yeah, yeah. I I think I think like what I have to put myself back into the mindset is that I listened to a lot of podcasts back then actually, and I listened and they were all just sort of discussion groups or like mm-hmm. you know or in the case of like yeah I think film spotting was like a big one for us, and in, in that case like taking movies very seriously like the pretension was sort of the point. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, like we're going to list the top five horror films. And so like you get into like really, you know, and I think that that geekery was like, I don't know, but when you translated it into books with us, I just sound so pompous and pretentious. And, you know, of course, like, uh, and, and I guess like if I could go back and change anything about my mindset, it's that I, I, you could tell with both Todd and me, you can tell that we are so excited to present our thoughts on like on a book. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I have, I have decided everything right or wrong about this book. And I can't wait to just like tell you what's right and what's wrong. And (laughs) over the years, I hope that that has like evaporated or, or just like been like beaten out of me because I don't think of of what we're doing as that anymore. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share mm-hmm. my thoughts mostly to see how y- you guys reflect them back or dismantle them or right. are how wrong they are when I start saying them aloud. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess, I guess I just, I used to think of like approaching literary disco as like, I would read a book and that would, I would filter it through like my awesome critical faculties and then like present, you know, the filtered version. And like, now I'm sort of like, I, 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 I just, I like letting a book tell me how to read it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Or like, or figuring out how I feel about a book by talking about it with you guys. Right. And like admitting that I don't, I, I sometimes read a book and I'm like, I don't know what to think, but by talking it through in this discussion, like, you know, like a book club, like mm-hmm. just sort of figuring it out. But I think there was a, a desire and, you know, a lot of it 
I know a lot of it comes from this insecurity that I've always felt about being just an actor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, all my life, 99% of the world has only perceived me as, you know, somebody who's, who, who, who said other people's lines, you know, like I Mm -hmm. I am, I'm mostly known for, for my ability to present a character that had nothing really to do with me or I had no control over. And even beyond that, like, if if people I mean that's assuming somebody even watched a show called Boy Meets World or a movie called Cabin Fever, uh, more often than not they might just know my name and know that I was in teen magazines in the nineties. So I clearly started this show like with a chip on my shoulder, being like, But I'm 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 also into books. <laughs> like yeah. I have yeah. thoughts and please listen to my thoughts and like <laughs> I wish I could just go back and like tell that 31 year old writer, like, just, just relax, dude. Like if, if, if you have a good thoughts, like just put them out there and like, you don't have to, I don't know. Yeah, or you, you guys get it. Alternately, what we could do is we could ask Spotify and iTunes and all the other places where our podcast is hosted just to delete the first no, 50 or 60. No, no, no. <laughs> I think, we wow, we got our stride not... quickly though. I will tell you guys. I listened to episode. I listened to actually a couple episodes, and by the time we got to Sweet Valley High, we were we, which yeah. was like episode right. four. We were pretty close to being who we are. <laughs> well, because I think that's our sweet spot, right? Is to like not like when we're reading something like sweet. Whenever we read read books that we kind of had no expectations about, right? Either because we thought they were going to be bad, or because they were for an audience that wasn't us like our natural reading instincts i think something kicked in that's more interesting which is uh, like just opening up our minds opening up this book and being like what did you guys think this is weird or like Mm -hmm. why is there so much rape in sweet belly (laughs) or or whatever it was it was like it was it was a process of discovery as opposed to a process of presentation right and i feel like that you know like whenever you know todd you and i were sort of like let us let's present our 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 smart thinking the, the show just got Ugh, boring or God. off the rails. Whereas if we're more like, here's how, you know, I'm just sort of figuring this out. It, it, it's, it's always more interesting. Yeah, um, sure. And so I'm hoping that we've reached more of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the listeners will tell us, but I think yeah. that, well, first of all, I'm fascinated that we already got to this like really vulnerable place. Like we're all older. <laughs> we've all, you know, we've all been in therapy for a decade, Julia. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, but I think that, okay, so here's my thesis on our whole project here. Um, I think that we had a half-baked idea that it would be like half pretentious, half every man, right? As we described. Right, right. Like, and that we would read a huge- High brow, low brow, middle brow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would read a huge variety of books and- I think it's obvious to our listeners that we are not good at podcasting. Like, we don't <laughs> do it on a schedule. We've no. never figured out, like, the production side, the advertising side. We don't, uh, how, how do you call it, prepare? We, <laughs> um, we sometimes we have, have a lot of reading to we do. We sometimes get prodded by our producers to do things like make the ads. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that. Like, no respect for anything in the process. And, you know, I think, like, at times that has driven us insane. And I know that, like, you know, we had another dip a few years ago where we were like, what are we doing? Um, 
But I actually think that our half-assness has served us deeply. And I, I basically, this podcast has taught me a lesson. It's like, we did kind of a bad job, or let's say like a 70% good job, but we're still going. And when I look at the list of everything we read and everything we did, like, I feel really proud. Like, if we had at any point been perfectionists and been like, this is not perfect, we are not making enough money or we're not doing it consistently correctly or like which i remember i think i said a couple times you did <laughs> but and you weren't wrong but this is my point it's like right. we through we did a a pretty good thing for a long time and that is how work actually gets done and like how we grew together and how yeah. we grew as readers together um and i don't know what the fuck i would be reading if it weren't for this podcast i have no idea you know, so like I'm glad that we stuck around doing our half-ass job rather than burn out trying to be perfect. Yeah. Other podcasts came and went in that time that were good, but they were like, we're going to do a weekly schedule and talk about 10 books at a time and all this stuff. And we were like, we just can't. Like we have human limitations and other things. So well, and I think, we're just going to do the best we can. I think that's the other thing is like, you know, Julia, you, you said a moment ago, like you didn't reach that point in your writing career that you thought that you would. But you ended up doing something even bigger. You know, mm -hmm. you created a community space for a city that desperately needed it. You brought art to a town and built. Yeah, which I also do a pretty bad job and at. And built by the a way. theater <laughs> while also appearing on the radio all the time. So it's, you, you know, the, I think the, the interesting thing is um, lots of people get into doing a show like this where you, you'll hear someone say, I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and I'll do four episodes and they just they just drop it. Like I haven't right. heard Sherman Alexie's podcast in a while. Um, and so I, I think part of the joy has always been like, like I don't think of it as a DIY thing anymore because of course we're on LitHub now, which is a, you know, a nice big conglomerate and they take good care of us. And thank you, Justin. It's been a, it's been a, <laughs> a great relationship there. But like, I, I think for the three of us, it has always been one of the things that we do creatively where we get to express ourselves without actually worrying about the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And it's right. the only time when I'm doing something where at the end I'm not constantly thinking like, ah, shit, like did I just spend a year doing something and it's going to tank my fucking career? You know what I mean? Right. Like that has never right. been a concern. Like when we do this, it's purely, from my point of view, and intellectual entertainment for me. It's like, mm -hmm. oh man, this is the best time. It's fun. I get to laugh. I get to talk about things I care about. And inexplicably, other people find it moderately entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, and so like not really being good at it has, I think, been the thing that has allowed us to continue yeah. to do it and not have it be a, a thing that's crazy stressful. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, it's just so crazy how much podcasts have developed right mm. like when we started i think there was there was such low stakes and we sort of let ourselves off the hook in every way and 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 instead like the culture of podcasts has become essentially the the art form yeah. you know uh, uh, the audio art form and everything is really slickly produced very mm. well edited uh it's it's sort of like i feel like podcasts have become like ted talks you know it's mm -hmm. like yeah let me get as much information or let, let's tackle a subject and like 
And whereas our show has, has stayed this like random reading <laughs> list that, I mean, I don't even know how we come up with what we read. When I look back, I'm like, what, who, who suggested that? Why did we read this? But it's also like, it's kept me, it's kept my reading life incredibly varied and mm-hmm. interesting. Oh, yeah. And it's kept me reading in so many ways. Like I've read way more than I think I probably would have otherwise. And, you know, I've, I've done it faster for sure, because I'll be like, oh God, we're recording tomorrow and I got a, I got 400 pages left uh-huh. and I'll fit, you know, crammed and make it but I always do like what's crazy is I, I think there's only one book and I'm not going to say which one there's only one book I didn't quite finish before we recorded <laughs> and I told you guys about it and then Todd you mocked me <laughs> while we were recording it I, I didn't finish the last hundred pages of a book I didn't need to but otherwise you know I mean when I think about like Finnegan's Wake I'm like oh my god like I actually made it all the way through that damn book and you know it was me and probably ten listeners right. who, who suffered through it but I'm really glad I did like that was a crazy thing and that's like so weird that it was like something i mentioned um and then became like you know a a series of episodes um you know and i think about like i interviewed my old college professor about it right right i don't know like i remember there was a review it was it was a really weird thing that i heard i guess it was a, a podcast that reviewed other podcasts did you guys listen to this one they reviewed our podcast and it was three people talking about our show and somebody in there said it was like sort of like uh a a grad school conversation, yeah. you know, like if our show felt like what, what happens when you're assigned a book and you show up and you, and you sit around and you talk about it and the students and the teachers are all talking like a seminar, like a grad school seminar. And I realized like, Oh yeah, that is kind of where we've landed. And, in, mm-hmm. and in the same ways that grad school seminars are filled with <laughs> self pretension and, <laughs> and efforts to, to prove, uh, get a good grade. Our show has plenty of those moments yep. and then lots of moments of discovery and like self-deprecation. And but I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's landed there because where else could it have been? But here's know? the like, thing though. It's like, as soon as I think like that's true, then something that we say on the show ends up with, with someone in a newspaper in London calling me a fucking asshole. <laughs> Or no, I take a lot of heat. Or I you, think. writer, um, revealing like, oh, I'm no longer on Girl Meets World, and that show's not being made. It's like, oh, oh god. It's like, oh, people listening to the show. People are actually listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my favorite. You guys got to remember one. The um, Jeffrey Dahmer graphic novelist said oh, that yeah. I like didn't understand his book, but it was actually something one of you guys said. Right. And I, I took heat from a graphic novelist that I liked. Durf Backdurf came for you hard. Yes, that's his name. Uh, yeah. But that's the funny thing. Like, So what I was talking about was when we were doing um, Middle March um, last year during the pandemic, which we're still in, I don't know if you guys have heard, um, I had, during the first episode, said it was you know boring and pretentious or whatever. And I mm. dropped the book with a thud. And the spectator out of out of London apparently heard the episode, and they the the guy was like, he's gonna come around, but you know what? Basically, he's a moron. And I did come around. Like he was right. Like yeah, Middlemarch always wins. Like that's that's the greatness of Middlemarch is that you don't you don't expect it to come around and win, but it does. The dude was right. Um, and I had a nice uh, email correspondence with him as well, where I told him he was right. But like that's the thing. It's like you don't you never know who's listening. So what are, do you guys have a, a, any major regrets? Like any clear uh, oh, God. missteps or things you wish you could take back? Oh, let's, let me think here. 
I wrote, in, I actually have notes for this. I wrote, low point, Gilthorpe comic strip. How <laughs> dare you? That was last year, wasn't it? How that was like during the pandemic. dare you? When we decided we were trying to pump out as many episodes as possible. That, that was, was fucking great. How, I ha- how dare you? I have this memory. There's an episode, and I have no idea which one it's in, where I mocked author photos. And I feel so bad about that because like, what the fuck? <laughs> like I, I, it was, it was, it was some sci-fi book. I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, and you know, the guy just had a dorky photo on the back. Like I, and, and like I, we did a whole episode or I did a whole revisit talking about author photos and I made fun of like, TC Boyle's clothing. Mm-hmm. And I like look back and I'm like, what an asshole. Like what a, like just who cares do you know what i mean like like this is supposed to be a books podcast and like yeah sure we could talk about like the way a book is presented or whatever but like to make fun of authors photographs just feels like the most uh lame hipster 30 something like thing to do and like i regret that and i have tons of regrets i'm sure if i actually remembered them or like i if i went back and listened but like i that one i've thought about and i'm like why did i do that like i really you know, judge a judge a book not by its author's <laughs> photograph. I mean, I even hate it. I actually, you know, I I don't know. Like the New York Times has has put authors' photographs in their book reviews for years now, and I hate it. Like I don't think it should have any. You should not be looking at the author. Yeah. Like the whole point of this art form is that it's not visual. The whole point is that it's the power of the words and stringing those words together, and what somebody dresses like, or how they cut their hair, or what they look like, or whatever should never like come into play. And it's, it's so unfair to me. That's like out of bounds. And the fact that I thought it was within the bounds of like criticism on a podcast is such bullshit. Well, I say inappropriate, awful things on a regular basis, but I fortunately don't remember half of them. So you have no regrets. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I surely have regrets, but I'd have to listen to the episodes to hear them. Um, there, I mean, there have been times where I've said something, realized I've said something and contacted our producer and said, Hey, uh, cut this thing that I Please just cut said. This out. Yeah, um, and that's it's usually just some terribly off-colored thing that I can't believe that I said. Um, but you know, I, I what I think is interesting is that um, oh, we've here. never. Oh, hi Vega. We we've never pulled our punches on reviews, and I think that's the um, that's the interesting thing is like we could have it at any time during our our time here making this show not expressed our actual opinion and no one would have known but we've never done that and we would have made more friends with more authors <laughs> yeah i mean there's only there's only been a few times where we've reviewed a book negatively and i've been like oh i'm gonna see that guy and it's gonna yeah. be weird this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, I always, I, 
guys try to take a very... I mean, I don't approach each episode the same way. Vega. Oh, Vega. She really wanted to come in here. Uh, I don't... So if it's a living author, like, already when I'm reading, I'm thinking about it differently than a non-living author, which I can tell you don't do, Todd. But, you know, what I ask with every... Every single thing we read is like, where does this fit into my ideas about literature, my ideas about the genre? Like, how does it, how is this like a puzzle piece in a larger picture? Um, and with a living author, I don't really want to ruin their life. Um, right. But, uh, you know, so I don't feel like I've pulled punches. In fact, I think I've said some really... Um, not kind things, but I don't know. I always think about the authors listening. I, I always do. I do sometimes worry that we're hurting Rupee's feelings. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do periodically, we do a game where I make fun of Rupee, but I feel like once you're, once you're a brand like Kleenex or Coke or Rupee, that you are, are allowed to be openly yeah. mocked. She- she doesn't. She has so many, so much love and adoration. <laughs> She's not noticing our little drop in the bucket. But you know that actually brings up something that I was thinking about that has changed for me from the beginning of the show. Um, and this is probably just getting older, but also having been doing, you know, reading books and discussing books and being part of a sort of literary community like this for for ten years is uh, being able to see trends, mm-hmm. being able to see. Uh, like the rise of the Instagram poet, um, the 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 rise of this sort of like self conscious intellectual literature, like uh, Ben Lerner and Sheila Hetty, and like just see trends in the in the in the literary world, you know, or or uh, think about how many like white male authors were all we were thinking about and talking about for the first ten episodes, yeah. you know, and it's like now we've read such diverse authors, and it's like oh right, because they weren't getting published before, right. and like I think I. You know, that goes hand in hand with the way I approached Literary Disco when we started, which was uh, part of it was a critical project to like reach a definitive conclusion about good literature or bad literature. And now like that whole idea is just gone. It's like instead I'm much more interested in engaging with literature endlessly. You know, it's just going to be it's going to be a constant give and take of like cultural trends and things that that I'm only going to have perspective on probably in 10 more years. And like. And no longer feeling like I, I, I want to reach that point where I'm like, well, this is a good book and this is a bad poem and, and that's it forever. It's like, well, no, like shit's going to keep changing and, and people are going to keep writing in response. Like it's, it's just a conversation. It's this constant co- cultural conversation as opposed to like reaching any sort of definitive conclusion about literature. And that is like, man, like that's more exciting because it mm. means that this project is never going to end in my life. Right. You know, it's not, <laughs> I, but I feel like I, I feel like I thought it would, do you know right. what I mean? I think it, at 31 or 32, whenever we started, I think I thought that, that I could, you know, reach the final judgment on, on, on books or poems. And like that, that was, and instead I'm like, especially since we've reread so many things on the show. I mean, that's part of this process too. It's like when you read Huck Finn for literary disco as an adult, it's very different than when I read Huck Finn at, 10 years old, you know, and versus like how I think about it now, it's just like, it's, it's always an evolving uh, thing. And that's more exciting to me. So what, uh, what do the next 10 years look like, Julia? What do we do for the next 10 <laughs> years? When we get to number 400 on my 60th birthday, 
What? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, first of all, I was cracking up because, like, episode zero, writer's like, this is the fault of the American education system. <laughs> something or another. Um, but I think that, alright, so I think we have actually been extremely successful in the mission that we had, which was to read widely. Um, yeah. And I was like, my jaw was like on the floor reading some of these episodes that I totally forgot about. The, um, Animal Rage episode where we just found three oh, different yes. essays about animals that went wild. I forgot about that. Was a good one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the poetry, the time. Well, okay, listeners, what you have to understand is taking reading a long book takes a long time. So any episode that you're like, "Wow, this was a random topic," that's because we were like, "What can we read in one day?" Yeah, Todd's got a um, hard you. Yeah. Right. Um, and um. I think that I think. I hope we continue to really go for variety. And I honestly, I have listening to these two and then reading a bunch. Like I have like 10 new ideas um, for things we could do um, just to continue the variety. I think I think for 10 years we should continue to push the boundaries of what is literature? What can we reread? How would we change our opinions if we read something again what fandom can we abuse like animorphs <laughs> or hardy boy hardy boys which is probably my favorite animorphs um, don't fuck ever. around man those animorphs people did not like that episode um but yeah i just want to keep going i mean i hope you guys do too because i feel like wow we did so much and there's so much more we could do mm-hmm. um and we've just We've just been getting by, and I would like to continue to keep just getting by with our completely random ideas. We've never done a book about disco. We've never, like, read the history of disco. Oh, my God. We've That'd never done a, a screenplay. One. We've only uh, done a play once. I don't want to. I don't want to write. No, them. we've done a couple plays. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. We did a couple plays. We did that okay. great. We did Kenneth Lonergan play the gallery. Was that was it yeah? We did a Kenneth Lonergan play. Didn't we do a play called Cock? We did Cock. Yes, yes. We, did. we did. And then we did that play, um, The Berry Child, Sam Shepard. Oh right, oh, that yeah. was a good play. You know, we've never done guys. We've never done Shakespeare. Ah, we, we've never done do Shakespeare. It. Oh my God, no. we've got to do Shakespeare. Right? How like, have we never we have a literary? We've had ten years of a literary podcast and no shit. That's actually we... what we should have done for our two hundred. Oh my god! Maybe we should just scrap scrap this and how have we never done Shakespeare? Because it's intimidating as fuck. Why? <laughs> Do you want to present your ideas on Shakespeare? Yeah, I'd be like, oh, scary. I'm happy <laughs> no, to. like, no, I know. Now, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I feel like we've we've avoided it because it's like you know, it's a lot. It's and a lot. It's, it's one of those towering sort of. It's like Moby Dick. Like, why haven't we read Moby Dick? Oh, because I'm not going to read it. I don't. Because that's a joke. I don't want to read it. Is the thing. Because then I lose that joke. So then I don't have that. Well, uh, what do you guys think is coming next? Like, what do you what do you hope for? Books or emotions or you know it's hard to say i i I think um i was just thinking about like what have i actually done during these these 10 years i've written uh a lot (laughs) six books i finished six books during the time that we've been on the air six which is a lot of goddamn words um i've read so many books and I, you know, I'm never going to get tired of reading books. I, I just tweeted yesterday, like, how cool it would be to get detention just to sit and read for an hour. That seems <laughs> great. Like, that would be perfect. 
Um, you know, I, I think that um, keeping ourselves open to wild invention and, and doing stupid shit and, and not taking ourselves too seriously um, is a good recipe. So that way, whenever we want to do something, we can do something. And I, I think about like how, Julia, you did that like audio essay that one time. Yeah. From yeah. from your travels into the great wide open seas. Mm -hmm. um, and like we we forget that we have the ability to do whatever it is that we want to do because we have dominion over the 56 <laughs> minutes that literary disco is. Um, and I think that also means Will Friedle is due for his. Oh, he wants to come back <laughs> for return yeah. visit. Um, no, I just yeah, I saw him this weekend. We, yeah, he's always. I mean, the guy reads so much because he reads all these fantasy books that are you know two thousand right. pages and twelve book series. But I gotta oh tell you, God. like to me, like what, that actually is one of the coolest things is like when Will comes on, like it's it's great because I I love Will and he's funny and smart and interesting. But I also know. That for a segment of the world that's listening to the show, it is the greatest thing that they've ever heard, having you, Ryder, and Will talking to each other <laughs> as human beings about a thing that you're passionate about. It, that, it, right. that it reveals you to be more than who they thought that you were. And that makes me happy right. as your friend. Um, but it also makes me happy just to listen to you guys talk about stuff. I always like to hear friends talk about things that make them happy. Yeah. What, what do you think, Ryder? Yeah, well, I mean, just piggybacking on that, I mean, I do feel like I, I want to make an effort for, to, and I don't really know what this means, but to sort of open up literary disco a little bit more. I think I've really gotten a lot out of the episodes, like um, when we have guests on who, who aren't necessarily, I mean, I, I like having the authors on too, but like, do you remember when we had the librarian um, on the show, Gwen, the yeah. New York library, yeah. Gwen, and like... When, when we had a high school teacher mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I want to find more ways to sort of like that invite that Columbine other episode into... was great. Oh, the Columbine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think like, you know, times were like, I kind of want to get out of the way a little bit. <laughs> like, I kind of want to figure out how literary disco can be more about us as, as, as adventurous readers still, but l not like adventurous readers in the sense of like, let me, let me take an adventure and then present it to you listening audience, but more like, how do we invite the audience along with us? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, does that mean like going around and interviewing bookstore owners or, uh, you know, and, and, and again, I, I feel like there's enough author podcasts out there. Like that's what something we, we always kind of avoided on this show because it's so obvious and it just seems like the podcast the standard podcast like what's evolved as the standard podcast is like the the joe rogan format yeah. or the mark Marin format right where it's like one one dude invites other people onto the show and they have like the one-on-one -on -one and you get and you get like an in-depth hour-long discussion and and like yeah we just never were going to be, become that we've been something weirder and, and more I, I would hope more interesting or, or different. And so, yeah, I, I just want to figure out new ways to do that. And I don't know what that is yet, but like, I, I kind of want to get out of the way of the podcast a little bit more. I feel like so much of it has been like, you know, especially listening to those early episodes, like me trying to like assert a, 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 a taste or a critical value judgment. And I'm just less interested mm -hmm. in these days. I'm more interested in like, besides sharing books, which I feel like we have accomplished because so many books have come through this, this, this podcast, uh, sharing readers, maybe, you know, like sharing new types of readers or the way other people read, or I don't know, like, I just want to open it up and I don't know what, 
what that means exactly, but well, I, I would I, love to find that out. I think that we do that the way that we do everything, which is like Half-ass a random really potpourri. <laughs> yeah, like I absolutely laugh my ass off thinking that George Saunders was on this podcast. Like probably my favorite living writer, but we've had like no one else. And we were like, that was amazing. <laughs> wow. And then we're like, back to business. <laughs> um, and I think that's fun. I honestly do. Um, but I know what you mean. Like, I think we should. In- I also think we should engage with fans better. Maybe not more, but better and like get ideas from the listeners. You mean not yell at them like Todd? What? Or- what? Yeah, well. <laughs> not get in Twitter fights with people who call you bad fucking energy. Hey, that bad fucking energy I've. I've branded and I have shirts for, and I'll be releasing them as part of our uh, updated Zazzle store very soon. But yeah, I like that idea, Ryder. Or I like that impulse. The concept. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not an idea yet. No, it <laughs> it's isn't. Just, it's not an idea. Yeah, I, like, I just, I want to figure that out because I, I, yeah, I do feel like I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I know we've repeated ourselves so many times. I was amazed listening to the first episode. We brought up Stephen King, Michael Crichton, like uh, we even brought up... Uh, choose your own adventure it was like oh wow like even in the first episode so many of the things that we've played out were already there you know right. and i guess i'm i'm curious now like to sort of let let get just get out of the way and like figure out what what is the another stage in this journey like i i honestly i would like to take a little bit of a break like whether that's just a month or whatever and just see if there's like a new direction um to go and i don't know what that is maybe it is maybe it's reading scripts maybe it's um or you know is it taking the time away to actually produce uh, more quality, like mm-hmm. higher quality produced episodes. Like, do we uh, take the time, like, you know, to record a discussion about a book, do an interview, do, and then condense it into a 30 minute, like, r- like really go for like literary disco on crack. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing <laughs> right, it here. And right but now, like, by the way, our, pro- our producer's like, wait, wait, what? What? <laughs> you want you want me to do what? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be him. I'm saying that I would take it on, that we would take it on, that you know, because it's you know I'm I'm with you, Todd. Like I've, uh, you know, I think when we started this podcast, I think I was still thinking of myself as a fiction writer because my my screenwriting career was just starting, and like you know, in this in these ten years, I've 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 written ten screenplays and who knows how many drafts of them and directed all this stuff and. And, you know, I've moved away from literature as like something I act actually do. I mean, screenwriting aside, like I don't really write literature anymore the way I thought I would when we started. Um, and that's just interesting to think about. Like, you know, now now that we've been professional public readers for so yes. long, what does that mean right. to, to uh, you know, and it means something different. It means something completely different to me. Uh, it's really interesting. Um and in a lot of ways, like, it, yeah, it, it feels like I've been in college this whole time, which is great because I fucking love college. I keep telling my son, <laughs> my, son's he, my son keeps, you know, he's, he's in first grade. And of course, it's he, he says he doesn't like school. And, you know, part of that is because he has to wear a freaking mask and mm-hmm. all that. But he's like, he's like, ah, I just don't like school. He's like, you like school? I'm like, I love school. He's like, what's college like? I'm like, I wish it never ended. <laughs> it just blows his mind. And in some ways, I feel like that's what Literary Disco has been. It's like this this endless college class that I've enjoyed with you guys. Um, but see, this yeah. is the thing is, I'm also teaching an endless college I class. I know. <laughs> You're actually doing it. I actually, I mean, if you had told me that um, 
you know, when I started directing an MFA program in 2008, that it would be something that I was still doing in 2021 and that I would have seen so many of my students become, you know, superstars. I wouldn't have believed it, but it's, that's part of the joy is like for my job, I get to talk about the stuff I'm super interested in with people yeah. that are super interesting and they're all really funny and smart. So it's mm-hmm. just like this, but they give me health benefits. So that's, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. this is so funny. This is getting back to what I was saying at the beginning too. And like, for me, some other things I did during this time was run some writing programs at the Mark Twain house. I, did a I ran a reading series. Now I'm writing a lot for radio. I'm producing for radio. Um, and I just feel like this whole time I've been tortured and I still will be like this is an unclosed loop in my life of like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. I thought I'd be a writer since I was 10. And what when I like find peace with it, you know, I think And I want, because I bet a lot of our listeners have the same thing. Like, I'd bet money that there's a lot of listeners out there who want to write. And what this podcast brings me is, like, the sense that, like, being a reader is enough. Mm -hmm. Like, the joy comes from the reading, not the writing. Like, the writing part is torture. The reading (laughs) part, yeah, the writing part is, like, ambition and expression and whatnot. And the reading part is, like, exactly what you describe, writer. It's, like, endless curiosity and, like, thirst and openness and like oh i hated this so i'm just gonna move on to the next one and guess what i loved it um and finding a community that's like not competitive you know it's just like yeah what are you reading what are you reading and that is so healthy and good and Mm -hmm. so like being a professional reader like that and that's my my second thought when i'm like i when i was 10 i wanted to be a professional writer what am i doing and but when i was seven i was like can i read full time like is that a thing so it like goes to an almost like deeper childhood place of like yeah i just get to do what i want but you are a professional writer julia i mean well we don't have to get into that but no i mean this this (laughs) is what i mean is like what you're doing on the show and what you do for radio you are creating narrative like that is your job and sure. whether you're doing it typing with your fingers or saying it out loud, you are still constructing the the narrative world for your listeners. And so don't be disappointed that you're not typing it. Be thrilled that there exists a platform where you don't have to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Believe 100%. me. God. 100%. Uh, and I also am glad I wasn't, and this goes back to our pretentiousness, all three of us, is like, I'm kind of glad I didn't hit the ground running at that time with what I was writing then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm right. glad that this became the river that I floated down. Ooh, good metaphor. Boom. Writer. Oh. Boom. Oh, Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I'm going to start reviewing all the, the books that we do. Todd, what are your thoughts? Boom. Boom. <laughs> so that's... I give it four times. <laughs> Boom. Have, oh. So here's my question for you, for both of you. Have I become more or less fratty during my aging from 40 to 50 live on Literary Disco? Steady, steady stream. (laughs) This is. I think you become less fratty. I think you become less fratty. (laughs) I definitely. Steady stream of well, fratty. Thank you, Julia. Well, you know what's also what's also interesting is to think about how uh, pol- we have become more political. Oh, for sure, all of us. 
I mean, oh my God, like when I think about like how we basically avoided politics until 2016 on our show. And then of course it's like everything, it's just become so highly politicized and our conversations so much revolve so much around like the state of the country. And, um, and also literature itself has become um, evaluated in, in our conversations uh, through the lens of politics, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's happened all, and it's happening to everybody. All right? art is but, political. So it's, it's impossible not to, to view it through that lens. I think you, I think you have to like, like, look, it's our duty to talk about the things that maybe someone listening in fucking Nebraska isn't hearing. Right. And they listen to us because they like to hear us talk about poetry or whatever. And if we can talk to them about the things that matter to us, and maybe we change a mind somewhere along the line, or make them feel like they're less alone. Oh man, I would have loved that when I was when I was young to feel less alone and and have cool people. Right, but that's not that's not political. That's just sure it is empathetic. That's your, I mean, what you just described is just you know opening up literature to to share. Yes. But like, you know, we've, we've, we are very outspoken about our, you know, as, as far as the, most of America goes, very liberal views yeah. on, on, on this show, which is something that I think when we started the show, I would have said we don't want to do, or we don't do, or I just w- wouldn't have done. But, you know, the way that the, the way that the world has become more and more polarized, uh, America in particular, has we've become more polarized yeah. and our conversation has become more overtly like, you know, we started reading 1984 and discussing about it in the context of like contemporary politics. I mean, that's what I mean, like actual politics entering our conversation. Right. And that's, you know, that's something that I think um, I would like to kind of get away from. Um, not, not because I don't believe in the things that I've said, but because I don't know if, if, if if it's as valuable in the long run when it comes to literature and reading, or maybe it is just as a record, right? Like it's just a record of the times, but it's interesting to me to think back on where we started and how, uh, like, I don't think I knew how you guys felt about certain political issues, like at all, you know? And yet by now I feel like we can go through a laundry list of like, Todd feels this way about gun control and writers <laughs> this way about Trump. And right. you know, it's like, it, that is just interesting that through this discussion that that's entered the realm of this discussion. I, 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 it's not a coincidence. It's what's happened to all of us in the course of this last 10 years. But I don't know. Um, for me, well, I, do you want to do a quick bookshelf revisit? Do we want to do like <laughs> uh, five minutes? Is that a transition? Yeah, that was, uh, a, yeah. That was a transition. Wow. I know. So like we because, said, well, we don't I, really plan It's already things. been an hour. <laughs> I, well, go I just want to say, I, let me say something before we do that. Um, yeah. I think that that's the context in which we're reading. And when yeah. we started, you know, it was like, here's everything I've ever wanted to say about Absalom, Absalom, or here's everything I've ever wanted to say about whatever. And we kind of ran through that, you know, and we all, we were like, here's my fixed identity. And then once we got over that, now everything we read is in the context of the time that we live in, the relationship that the three of us have, everything we've read before together. And, you know, our personal emotions and feelings as we are obviously through today's episode, like we have grown, we have all changed um, on a personal level. So like 
putting each book in a context is good because that's where mm-hmm. we're admitting our our bias and our vulnerability, right? Like, even though it sounds like the opposite of that, saying, like, when you guys were like, we want to read this toxic masculinity book, and I was like, they got to work through some shit in the Me Too era. Let's do it. (laughs) You know? Like, that's That's a good thing. You know? That that all of the forces that led you guys to want to read that book, you know, like, we got to surf that wave. We can't pretend that the ocean isn't moving. Another water metaphor. Um, write that, good one. Write yeah, that down. I don't know what's going on. Just pop it up. Wow, right. just <laughs> if we uh, could get but, the transcription of this podcast. We just and... see waterfalls are working out. Uh, uh, yeah, but I think I don't know. I don't want to resist that. And like yeah. politics, you know, the 2016 election was a mind fuck, and everything that came after was a continuation of that. But then we had the pandemic context and now we are all all listeners us in this weird post pandemic big air quotes um world and that world is uncertainty and personal realizations of what we all want to be doing with our life so like even this conversation is in that context you know right. like this is not just cuz it happens to be our 200th in another in another timeline in the marvel universe like our 200th episode is like a well polished thing with a famous author on but we are all feeling <laughs> I got uncertain. news for you there, there is a famous <laughs> author on uh okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah i think i think we can't decide if if things are political everything's political the personal right. is political yeah because also like yeah it's not getting process. better you know like when roe v wade is overturned next month we're gonna probably want to talk about it mm-hmm. all right so are you ready for that revisit now Ryder? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, our episode's running long, but yeah, what the fuck? Let's do it. Uh, Because it was interesting to hear our first our first bookshelf revisit. I mean, really, it was just a chance to present our thoughts on a on a book. Um, (laughs) But what I recently had this experience and I I tweeted about this book um, because it really just blew my mind. Um, uh, And I can't believe I'd never heard of it. And I can't believe more people don't talk about it. Uh, and it's it's like easily one of the top five books I've ever read, um, which is A High Wind in Jamaica by Richard Hughes, which w- was this, and you know, it's that series that you introduced us to, Julia, that New York Review of Books, how they take mm-hmm. those sort of forgotten masterpieces from the 20th century or earlier and like bring them out in public. And I'm so glad. I mean, I can't believe how many great books I've read through that series. Oh, amazing. Um, and this one, but the reason I read this book, um, I don't know why. But I was going through old emails and oh, I think I was like transferring things over from one hard drive to another, backing up. And I found an email from my professor, Carl Krober, who died, the one that I talked about on episode zero as my sort of literary origin story. And it was the last email he sent me. And it was because I had written to him after he had written my letter of recommendation to get into Bennington. Part of our program at Bennington, you guys will recall, was that we had to create book lists of books to read. Every semester, we would have to come up with like what we were going to read, and we'd read 20 or 30 books on top of what we were going to write. And I asked him for recommendations, and he had sent me a list of about 20 books, and I had never read any. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And so I have this treasure trove of 
my favorite professor's recommendations from beyond the grave. And the first one on the list was this, this book by Richard Hughes, a highway in Jamaica, which I'd never heard of. I'd never heard of this guy He's an English author. Um, and this book is insane. You guys, I have never like the less you know about it, the better, because I didn't know anything about it. And I'm so glad because 30 pages into this book, something happens, which just makes no sense and rips your heart out, even though it's a very funny book. And then you keep reading it and it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. The it's like basically, uh, Peter Pan meets, uh, Adventures of Huck Finn. Um, it's meets uh, uh, let's uh, like a colonial uh, like a Heart of Darkness. It's a crazy. It's <laughs> a lot. It, no, it's it is so unhinged. I've never read a book that made me feel weirder or like it's like and it's and it's not easy to read. Because, you know, it's very like early 20th century actually it reads more like like uh like 19th century so like the prose itself is a little like oh who's who is he talking about you have to like like i found myself having to read it slower than i i can read than i read usually but it was so worth it because the story was so fresh and bizarre and it's about childhood and uh and piracy and like i i can't recommend it higher but i guess what it did for me is it just sort of reinvigorated uh my love of literature. Like, oh, there are still not only books out there to be discovered, there are old books out there that yeah. have already been discovered and forgotten about and we can rediscover them. And they're not all middle marks. They're not all like classics that everybody is telling you to read. They can be on some random email list from an old professor and like, just give it a try because like this book blew my mind. And, um, and I am so excited again for like the fact that I can still find books that I will like recommend to everybody until the day I die. Yeah, that is cool. That is awesome. All right, what, yeah. what do you have, Julia? Well, um, we planned this revisit at the extremely very last second. So I, what I'm thinking about, the book I'm thinking about right now is um, <laughs> the opposite of everything writers say, except maybe not. Um, Streganona by Tommy DePaula. We've been reading it yes. every night. Yeah, Vega is actually right here. Hey, Vega, do you want to say, what is Streganona? It's a book. Yes. And what happens in the book? Do you remember? You tell me. You tell them? Okay, I will. Um, what happens is that this old witch has a magical pasta pot and she entrusts it to a shady character named Big Anthony, who's incompetent and pompous. <laughs> do, you, and, do, you do, do you do an Italian accent when you read it? Big Anthony. No. Big Anthony. Big Anthony, the second he, he is able, abuses his position as the watcher of the pasta pot and... Basically, it's actually terrifying. Pasta covers the town and, you know, almost kills a bunch of people. Yeah, Big like, Anthony all, is a Big Anthony is not a good guy. No, just to be clear. Uh, and Didn't we read it on an episode of this no, show? No, we've just talked. Am I? We've just talked about it. Really? I thought we did an episode of children's books and we read Strega Nova. Oh, maybe we did. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I just brought it up because I was reading it to Indy. When yeah. he was Vega's age. But yeah, I, it was a huge favorite in our household, too. Yeah, and oh, then in so a good. violent end that's something out of the movie <laughs> 7, uh, Anthony has to eat All an the entire pasta. town's <gasps> worth of pasta. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, it's a book I've read 100 times as a child and 100 times in a month. Can I show them? You want to show them the book? Yeah, go get it. 
Um, and it's and the artwork is great. The artwork is amazing, book. and I think what children's books really like. What's so powerful about them that we've talked about before is. You know, you got to be able to read a book 200 times and still find it delightful. Right. And I wish right. all writers wrote like that, you know, I'm like trying. with the knowledge that somebody's going to read this 200 a times, thousand times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's the best. It's just seriously the best. Um, and everyone should read it. You just go to the library. Even if you're an adult with no child, go to the library, find it and just read it standing there in the library, and you will smile. That's Stregonona. <laughs> All right, how about you, Todd? Uh, very similar to both of you, I have a book that is uh, uh, very closely related to my own passions. As you all know, I have a deep and enduring belief of the paranormal. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and I recently had the joy of interviewing my colleague, John Martin Fisher, who received a multi-million dollar grant to um, study immortality. And um, he wrote this fascinating book called Death, Immortality, and Meaning in Life. And there's a whole section on it in it about near-death experiences. And the fascinating thing, of course, is that, you know, near-death experiences are real. People have them. Now, the notion of what real is, of course, has to be is it a real near-death near experience or is this something that's really happening to you? The science tells us it's really happening to these people. Like, legions of people aren't making this up. Whether or not it's near-death is, of course, you know, whether they come back is... Wait, I'm confused. What do you mean? You mean when somebody's, like, brain, when they actually, like, die and then they're brought back to life? Or So there's their, those experiences where, like, they see the bright light and yeah. their dead sister's taking them somewhere? Well, right. those people have experienced that. They aren't just telling the story. Right. They, they didn't just make it up. Something happened, right? And they felt it. Was right. it near death? Was Were they in heaven? You know, who knows? But what this fascinating book does is it actually looks at the science of near-death experiences. And it looks at the philosophy of near-death and the cultural experiences of near-death experiences. And the fascinating things, of course, is that near-death experiences over the course of time the description has changed based on cultural mores and mm -hmm. near-death experiences oh, sure. on the in the West are different than near-death experiences in the East. But of course. So, for instance, <laughs> in America... Almost they as have different if ghosts taking them to different heavens. It, it's almost it, as if it's just flashing so, in your brain that you interpret. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Right. So, oh. in, in America, we have the metaphor of the light at the end of the tunnel, right? But in Japan, they don't have that metaphor. They have a metaphor of tending a rock garden. And so often when people in America have a near-death experience, they're being guided by a relative or Jesus or whatever through a beautiful tunnel to a light. In Japan, when someone has a near-death experience, they are guided through a rock garden by that same person. And you're like, oh, it's like the brain's interpreting it. And then there's there's all these notions about like, well, when are near-death experiences actually happening? And just like with dreams, where you have the perception that you've been dreaming for hours and hours and hours, and the dream has taken, you know, your entire night to get to the end of, but it's really, it's it's like a second, and you've dreamt the whole thing. Near-death experiences they now are positing are when essentially the brain is ramping back on. Like, mm -hmm. your brain's been off, it turns back on, 
you're flooded with all these experiences and stuff. It's a it's a fascinating look at the science of near death experiences, but it's also there's a section about people who have survived falls from a great distance. Oh, I can't uh, read this. That's too scary. And it's it's bananas. Because these people that have survived for falls from great distance have a lot of the same things happening as in near-death experiences where it's like total feeling of peace. They're often guided by a, a loving dead relative. Um, and and then they don't actually feel the impact, you know? Hmm. And so, but, they, but what all these things have in common, and I bring this up today on the anniversary of our show, is that what near-death experiences have that's the same as in literature and the same as in what we do when we talk about books is it gives you a sense of hope. It gives you a sense that nothing is final, that there is in fact a possibility that irrespective of whether or not you believe in God, people that aren't religious have near death experiences too. And that all of it is about safety and love and feeling peace. And that there's always an other side to whatever it is you're going through. And that's the, that's the quality of the near-death experience is it provides hope. Wow. Can I piggyback a, a good movie recommendation yes. on that one? Yes. There's a movie that my friend and amazing director of photographer that I, director of photography that I work with, um, Elijah Christian, uh, he was cinematographer for this movie called The Night House that is out right now. Uh, just got, came out on VOD. It is an awesome horror film. If you're looking for a very unsettling horror film, and it has a connection to what you're I can't describing. wait. Like a very, it's basically like a boogeyman version of post near death experience. Yes, and I'm for it. Yeah, it's it is so creepy and so cool. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's totally a great film, and and Elijah's work is unbelievable. It looks so good. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so this was fascinating to me, and I did this great conversation with this dude um, for a thing at UCR, and there's a video that will be up sometime soon. So I'll link to it on the Twitter page. So you guys can can hear John Tark. But anyway, the book is called Death, Immortality, and Meaning in Life. It's a little dry, but it is a fascinating scientific study of, of all three of those things. And that's my revisit from the dead. Wow. Hey, Vig, all right, guys. Wait, Vega, do you want to uh, say anything about Stregonona? Oh, oh, we got one more. Present Stregonona. Oh, she's holding it up. Yep, that's Look it. at that. We did yep. talk about it. We did talk about we it. Did. We did. We, did a, we, had, we had it on an yeah. episode. You know, Julia Whoops. might not have been here for that episode, or maybe she was. No, I, I'm sure I, I was. We, I forget everything. Uh, yeah, we did an episode <laughs> because I had that book when I was a little kid, too. We hey, all Vega, did. Do you love to read? Yeah. Yeah? Well, you want to read? You've got Can 200 you... episodes to catch up on when you turn about 17. You want me to read this to you right oh now? Oh, my God. When I think about Indy rolling his eyes and listening to our episodes and being like, my dad oh God. never shut up. <laughs> dad, stop talking. Let Julia speak. I think Julia has to go read, Ryder, so you might as well lead us out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where, how, what do I say? <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. 200! Thank you so much for listening. We did it! Woo!